Kids who have instruments. Let's say this. Every kid has instruments, even though I have one, but because you have hands, right? Our hands can be our instruments. So um, let's say this. If you are in fourth grade or under, stand up. Fourth grade or under, stand up on your feet. Fourth grade or under, don't make me come back there. Okay. We're going to try something. Ready? This is, this is going to take choreography. You ready? It's important. Very important. You guys can't mess up because you're the best one. Okay. Now, we, we do something. We've already done it a couple times. We're adults. We got, you got, it's, we're all together now. I'm going to say he is risen. Now, before we say he is risen, be kids, you ready? If you have an instrument or with your hands, we're going to do three beats. He is risen. Got it? And then we're all going to say he is risen indeed, right? We have it? Let's practice it. Ready, kids? Instruments or hands? He is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. He's the adults. They totally dropped the ball on that one. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. He is risen. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, you can sit down. That's what Brian's going to talk for a couple minutes. You guys are doing great. Thank you. You're doing great. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is an old acclamation. The church has used it during the resurrection season for a long, long time. It'll be part of our liturgy for the next six Sundays, seven weeks, a day, and six more Sundays, seven Sundays. Part of our liturgy will be, He is risen, He is risen indeed. But something starts to happen to this greeting. Maybe you're beginning to hear it today. It begins over time to wane. Like in week four, I'll be like, He is risen. You'll be like, yeah, okay, He's risen indeed. Yeah, we got it. N.T. Wright says that Eastertide is about the wild delight of God's creative power. He says it's not very Anglican, perhaps. But at least we ought to shout hallelujahs instead of murmuring them. We should splash water about as we renew our baptismal vows. And let me add, we should run out of pavilion at the beach and have Easter service together. Right? Like, that is how it should be. With food and fun and music and kids clapping. In standing room only, like this is good. But then right goes on. He says, every day in the Easter season should be this way. You should keep it going. It should be made special with songs and celebrations and feasting and frivolity. And I started to think to myself. We can't keep it going for seven minutes, N.T. Wright. How are we going to keep it going for seven weeks? And just when I'm ready to call it quits and throw in the towel and say that the Paschal, Paschal Feast can't last that long, I read Psalm 118. And the writer says this. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know what day he's talking about? Every day. 
Just when you thought M.T. Wright was nuts. The psalmist says every day is a day to rejoice and be glad. And do you know why he says that? Because Jesus, who was put to death, has now risen from the dead. And we who follow him live in resurrection power. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, how in the world will those of us who live in New England connect, be able to stay this excited for seven weeks? I mean, how is it that we will be able to live every day like it is the day the Lord has made in his resurrection power? Resurrection is kept alive in our hearts and in our minds and in our actions as we marvel at the reality that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. These two things must work together. Marvel and reality. They've got to work together in this season. If marvel and reality don't go together, we will never be able to sing with the psalmist. This is the day the Lord has made. And there is plenty of both in the resurrection story. It is full of marvel and wonder and delight. And it is absolutely real, my friends. Let's just start and consider just briefly, just one part of it. Let's just take the angels for just a second. Just the angels. Just the angels. You know that, that every gospel writer gives a, like, a different account of the angels? In one place there's two, in one place they're in the two, in one place they're out of two. Matthew says, the angel comes down from heaven, there's an earthquake, and the guards guard the tomb fall dead, right? I mean, it's just... It's full of marble, and they're all different. And we say, well, why are they all different? Well, let's put out our imaginations. Kids, let's just imagine something for a minute. If you have to close your eyes, let's close your eyes. We're going to imagine something. Okay, New Englanders, imagination on Easter Sunday. Come on. <laughs> let's imagine that someone walks off of the beach right now. He just kind of appears. And he walks up off the beach, and he comes up on the porch, and he looks kind of human. But he's wearing robes like even whiter than mine, like they're so bright you can hardly look at them. And he walks in the room, and he says to us that someone who we've lost just woke up and came back to life. I wonder how many of us would have the same story. Yeah, I saw two angels. I saw one. I saw three. No, there was five. I felt over dead, right? So I didn't see anything. <laughs> the accounts differ because heaven has broken into earth. And when the earthlings are trying to get it straight, the marvel is too much for us. I just can't figure it out. I'm not sure. Did you see two? I saw one. Was he outside? He was inside. Was it a he? I think so. And the gospel writers say something else. And on this, there is no ambiguity. On this, there is no difference. The stone is rolled away. Jesus is not in the tomb. And the disciples witnessed the resurrection and they believed. This is real. It's a marvelous reality. And Paul backs it up in 1 Corinthians. He says this in verse 20. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Corinthians have begun to lose their marvel. And more importantly, and actually kind of dramatically and dangerously, they've begun to lose their reality. They have really begun to think, well, resurrection, bodily, physical, like getting up out of the tomb, that can't happen. And so they begin to trade it. They begin to trade it for something that they can get their arms around, like something they can make sense of, which is this common belief in the ancient world that, like, the soul grows up. Oh, it's just, it's spirit-filled. It's just, it's, it's ethical. Like, it's not actually bodily form. And so Paul writes to them, and he says, whoa, 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 that's a real problem. If we only believe that, you know what Paul says? That our faith is pitiful. Faith is pitiful if we don't believe in God and resurrection. And Paul goes on. Why is it so important? Why is it so right that we believe in the bodily resurrection? And here's what he says. For as by man came death. Let's talk about Adam. For as by man, flesh and blood, came death. By man, Jesus, also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. There is nothing more marvelous or more wonderful than the life that we who believe and confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord are guaranteed by his bodily resurrection. We were dead because our fate was tied to Adam, the man of dust. But we are alive now because our fate is joined with Jesus, the man who left the tomb. Because the stone was rolled away, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Because of this, our sins are washed clean. Evil is bound. Satan and his forces are destroyed. Our loved ones are restored to us. All injustice is made right in the new heaven and earth. Our sin is exchanged for his righteousness. Our morality exchanged for his immorality. Our sorrow for his joy. Our bondage for his freedom. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we no longer need to be shameless. We no longer need to have fear. We can be shameless. We can be fearless. Words that we are going to sing in just a minute. And I hope you will say it heartily. So, my challenge to you is resurrection day. <coughs> Let us all engage with the marvelous reality of the resurrection. Marvelous reality of the resurrection. And let's do it for seven weeks. How? Well, I have a couple of suggestions. One, we should feast. We just came through a time of sacred self-denial. It is now a time for festal watchness. <laughs> to quote my friend Rex. <laughs> Invite a few friends over once a week or once every other week and have a feast. Like, make some really good food together. In fact, cook together. Don't skimp on the bread and the wine. Get together. Maybe hold a movie night. May I suggest one of Tamara and Mike's favorites, The Vets Feast, and make some of the food they make on there. Pull it off, you won't recognize any of it. Have some feasting together. Maybe number two, while you're feasting, you know, we put so much down for it. Take some more. 
something new, something that will energize your imagination, that will ignite your marvel and your wonder. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe you're not a novel reader, you find a really great novel that has great imagery that you can climb into. Maybe if you're not a walker, you take some strolls through nature. I was joking with everybody, I used to teach junior high school, and I put posters on all of my walls so that when the kids got bored of me, they would look up and still see history. And that is why we're having Easter here. <laughs> Don't be mad, that's my daughter. Volunteer at a school or soup kitchen. These things ignite our imagination. For the Savior of the world, who created all things and made all things new because he walked out of the tomb. And lastly, let me challenge you. We don't have church here every week, so don't come back next Sunday. We'll back to <laughs> But we do have church every week. We're going to have it six more times recently. Yeah, every week. Can you believe it? <laughs> Everyone. Come and sit with friends and family and people who are going to sit together and hear the reality of resurrection through the church truth of God's word. That's all I'm going to say about that. Come to church six more times. God bless you. I'm only talking five of them. Good. <laughs> Whenever I have trouble feeling a deep truth, I turn toward the artists. <laughs> Whenever I have trouble marveling, and I'm looking at some of you, whenever I have trouble marveling in the reality, I turn toward the artists. They've got to ignite what I'm feeling. And so let me finish today with the words of the great artist who wrote Psalm 118. He wrote a song of marvel, marvelous reality at the resurrection of Jesus. And here's just a few of his words. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You ready, kids? The Lord is risen. And we say thank you, good Jesus, and God the Father, and Holy Spirit, who saw fit to look at those of us who were dust, and rescue us by your very hand. We are grateful in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.